Happy St. Patty's Day. We got three Irish people in here. And what is the response? I mean, we are a church. Come on, we've been through this a lot. Happy St. Patty's Day. Okay, and also with you, good. I'm going to train you guys to be like a church at some point. Actually, I hope you're not from a church. I hope you're not from any church background that you've never heard. I'm also, and also with you ever in your life, and you're here because you have this question, because you're actually exactly who I want to talk to. This is a series we're doing. My friend has a question, and I'm so glad, I'm so glad this is over because these are the hard questions, okay? You know, we didn't answer, you know, would Jesus be a Sox fan or a Cub fan, you know, and anything easy and obvious, you know, um, like, like that. It was, these are the hard ones. And today is number one. Why is there suffering in the world? I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that said, you know, I had a friend who was a believer and this is what they finally just said, I can't, I can't get around this, I'm an atheist. I've had people who said, this was what kept me away from God for a long time. And I'm going to promise you, I'm not going to answer this question in a way that you're going to walk out of here and go, oh, Okay, I got it. Because suffering and pain are, are not easy. It's not, it, and there's no easy answer because we're in this world, but I'm going to give it my shot. The question remains, um, why? why? Why do these things happen to some people and not other people? Middle-aged woman had a heart attack and went to the, went to the hospital, and uh, while she was there, she coded and literally died, and she saw God, and she said, God, is this it? And God said, no, no, you've got another 43 days, eight months, and, and, and two, two, 43 years, eight months, and two days to live. So she came to, she's in the hospital. She thought, wow, I've got a long life ahead of me. Might as well make the most of it. So she got a liposuction and a tummy tuck and a facelift while she was still in the hospital. You know, got her hair colored, had somebody come in. She figured she might as well, you know, get the whole thing redone, you know, kind of a reset. She's walking out of the hospital, gets hit by a speeding ambulance and dies. She gets before God and says, God, I thought you said I had another 43 years. God said, oh, I'm sorry I didn't recognize you. <laughs> Is that why? Thank you. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> why does God sometimes do a miracle and sometimes not? Why does somebody have a heart attack and come back and leave 43 years and somebody has a heart attack and dies? How can a good God be a part of this? And, and here's where I want, I want to start with this. I'm glad you asked the question because um, somebody else asked this question back in the Bible. You know who asked that question? It was Jesus. And here's why, here's why I say I can't really fully answer this because if Jesus on the cross said, why? Remind me again why? Then it's okay for us to ask the question. And it may be a hard answer, but it's okay for us to ask, okay? I know that some of you are here, you're in a painful situation. Maybe you're watching on the, on, on the internet, you're in a painful situation, emotionally, physically, whatever. And I wish that I could just do something to take it all away from you and, and we could all just pack up and go home, but I can't do that. I wish that I could tell you that I know where you live. I mean, like, I, I've, I've been there, and I'm not going to lie and do that either. That's a bad idea when you're helping someone going through a situation. Well, yeah, I know how you feel. Be because I've had my share of struggles. I've had kids in, in intensive care, but they came out. I've had marriage issues, but we made it. We're good. I've had financial setbacks, but we're good. My life is blessed, so I'm not going to sit up here and whine about any of my problems because to, to some of you, to maybe most of you, it would seem like, well, you, 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 I got tougher problems than you. I get that, okay? I get that. I've had tough times in my life, and here's what I know. I'll have tough times in my life going forward. 
But right now I'm going to try to go back to the Word. And uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to John 11. Or if you've gone uh, new school and you just use it on your tablet or your smartphone, I really recommend that you do that. I mean, I, I really don't carry a Bible around very much anymore either because i got it right here. There's a great app called YouVersion, Y-O-U version, uh, put out by uh, a friend of mine's church, 200 million downloads they've given away for free of the Bible. Go on your app and, and, and get that done, okay? I'm going to camp out in John 11 um, with the story of Lazarus, and I'm going to tell you something right now. Jesus is going to do a miracle for Lazarus that he's probably not going to do for you because Lazarus dies and he comes back again. I, I don't want to ruin this story for you. Most of you, maybe many of you know that that already happens in here. That's not the point, the point of the story is deeper than that. It's well beyond that. Walk with me. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Okay, that's not saying like, Lord, you remember my brother Lazarus? That, that's not what that is. That is, Lord, this guy is important to you. Lazarus was an important person. Lazarus and Mary and Martha were wealthy people, and Jesus would often stay. They had a spare room. Nobody had spare rooms back in that day. They had a spare room that Jesus would stay in when he was in that area, and they were close friends. So what Martha and Mary are saying is they sent word to Jesus. Jesus is like a day and a half's journey away, and they sent word to him, and they said, this guy that you love, this is Lazarus. If ever you should do a miracle, it should be for this guy that you love for Lazarus, for this guy. In the same way that you and I have prayed to God and said, God, if there was ever a reason why you should heal somebody, this person is it. When he heard this, Jesus said to the disciples around him, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Hang on to that. Both of those things. This sickness will not end in death. This is for God's glory. Well, okay, so if this sickness will not end in death, you would think Jesus is going to hightail it back to Bethany and take care of this, right? When he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And he said to his disciples, now let's go back to Judea, okay? Two more days. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? I mean, this is the problem of waiting that we have when it comes to God. God, why, why would you wait this long? Why, why are you waiting this long? Why is this happening? Two more days. Why does he do this? Well, I, I honestly believe as I've been thinking this through this week that I've had the wrong concept of this whole miracle. Because you're going to find out in just a minute that Lazarus, by the time Jesus gets there, has been dead for four days. So I don't know if you're good at math or not, but that means that either somewhere on the, on the, on the route to tell Jesus or on the way, you know, in the, in the meantime, somewhere in there, Lazarus has already died. And I think Jesus knew that. And I've always thought that Jesus waited two days so that Lazarus could die so that he could raise him again. But I don't believe that's what it is. I believe that he died. I believe that he waited for two more days so that he'd be really obviously dead. And that may sound weird to you, but back in the day before medical technology, don't, don't let this freak you out, but they literally used to put little bells in the coffins when they buried people in case somebody resuscitated and they accidentally buried them. They thought they were dead, you know? Can you imagine walking by the cemetery? Ding, ding, can I come out, please? And it happened back then. But if he's been in there for four days, he's a goner, okay? Jesus said, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to them. 
to him. And on his arrival, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Okay? Again, four days dead. This is not camera tricks on the walking dead dead. Okay? You know, where you thought Glenn was dead and you're like, oh no, Maggie's pregnant. This is terrible. I can't believe it. And then all of a sudden you find out he's okay because it was just a camera trick. This is not like that. This is, this is, he is gone. There's no way he could survive for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Hang on to that one too. Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What took you so long? If you would have been here, if God is good, why does bad stuff happen? Okay? Let me give you my best shot at an answer to this and then walk you back through this story and let you see the bigger picture. Okay? If God is good, why does bad stuff happen? All right? Answer number one, it's our bad choices. I mean, God can intervene in anything and everything, but sometimes if you drive drunk and you hit a pole, don't blame God, okay? There's nothing else that that he would do about it. If you're Johnny Manziel and you can't get your your Johnny football and you can't get your junk together, you're going to get cut from the Cleveland Browns, okay? That's the way it is. And you're going to have a hard time getting back in. Don't blame God for that. And I hope, I hope you do, okay? Number two is other people's bad choices. If someone else drives drunk and hits you, that's not God's fault either. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. If you're Matt Forte and the Bears make a big mistake and don't re-sign you, right? Okay? It's not Matt Forte's fault, but it's not God's fault either. It's the Bears' fault, and you have to go play for the Jets. But at least it's not the Packers, so it wasn't that bad of a decision, Okay? <laughs> But really, really, think about this, okay? Most suffering is the result of the bad choices that we make or somebody else makes. Again, God could stop it, and he does sometimes. But, for example, people will often say, if there's a good God, how come there's so many starving people in Africa? And my answer is, the reason there are starving people in Africa has nothing to do with God. There are all kinds, there's plenty of food on the planet. There's plenty of food for all of us. But because of selfishness on our part, because of bad government on their part, a lot of times, I've, I've, I've done this, okay, I get this, because of irresponsibility on the part of others, um, it ends up in starvation and, and suffering. And we're working to try to help that in Malawi. We're doing that in Kenya. We're doing that around the world. We're trying to do what we can. And if everybody did what they could, there wouldn't be any famine. There wouldn't be any starvation. God wants to help but it's not God's fault, all right? Number three, satanic attack. The Bible says that the thief comes, Jesus said the thief, Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. So what does that mean? That means he's going to steal and kill and destroy. Now, I don't want you to take this too far because sometimes people are like, oh, you know, I I had a flat tire. The flat tire demon must be in my car. You just had a flat, you ran over a nail, okay? But there are spiritual, there is a spiritual battle going on in our world. And it's real. And Satan is here and he attacks. We see that even with the Old Testament character Job that all these bad things happened to him. God didn't cause it, but for whatever reason he allowed Satan to do it. And Satan always wants to do that. But I think the big reason, okay, I think the big, big part of this is we just live in a fallen world. Philip Yancey says it this way, don't confuse life with God. We live in a cursed planet. 
Pastor Andy Stanley tells it this way. He says it's like rust. I love this. You don't ever see rust by itself. You can't have rust by itself. Rust is the decay that happens to something good. If it wasn't for the good things, there would be no rust. If it weren't for the pure things, there could be no impure things. And evil is literally just the degradation of the things that are good and pure. You see, when God put Adam and Eve on the, in the garden and he put us here on this planet in the first place, before there was a curse, before we sinned and brought evil into the world, he said, everything is good. And you know what? It's not recorded in Genesis, but I'm pretty sure Adam and Eve said, okay, if you say so. Because they didn't have anything to compare it to. They didn't know what not good was. And God put one tree in the garden. He said, put a tree in the garden that you cannot eat of. What was that tree? The knowledge of good and evil. He put that tree in the garden and he said, from, you know, from this point on, I want to have a relationship with you. And the only way to have a relationship with you is to allow you the freedom to choose to love me. And the only way that we can do that is if I put something here that I tell you not to do so that you can choose to do it or to not do it. It's free will. If you need a theological treatise on it, go back and rent Bruce Almighty today because it's a great theological treatise of how you can't, even if you're God, you can't make somebody love you if, you're gonna give, if it's going to be real love. So he puts the tree in the garden, and they chose to disobey God, which brought evil into the world. And because they ate of the tree, they have the tree, they have the knowledge of good and evil. We have the knowledge of good and evil. We have the knowledge of rust. We understand it. And you can look at it and say, why is it here? Well, it's here because of us anyway. But, but we look at it and we go, we know that's bad. You, you don't usually have a hard time convincing people that when there's a, a, a tsunami and 100,000 people die, that it's a bad thing. I mean, most people are going to agree with that. Most of us are going to agree that, that slavery and terrorism and abuse is evil. There are evil people who still do it and still think it's okay. But, but most of us agree that that's a bad thing. But because of the disobedience, evil is allowed in. We know good from evil, which is okay, but there is now evil, which is not okay. And don't say, well, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. The Bible says, therefore, as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So if you ask me why is, why is there suffering in the world, I'm going to tell you that it's mostly because we live in a fallen world. My friend Rick actually preaches down in Texas, and he was talking about how he was watching a devastating earthquake one day, and it was a, it was a feed from a, a station down in Mexico. It was in, in Mexico City, and it was a feed to the Dallas station from a, a, a station down in Mexico. And he said it was really ironic because all of a sudden I'm watching this earthquake, and at the bottom of the screen there came up a, a, little, a, a little symbol that said, courtesy S-I-N. Spanish International Network was what it was. But he said it's pretty ironic because that's exactly right. This earthquake is courtesy of sin. Sickness and death in the world is courtesy of sin. Sorrow and suffering is courtesy of sin. So that now means we live in a fallen world and the knife that will cut a tomato will cut my finger. And tornadoes will hit churches and porn stores. And cancer will strike believers and unbelievers. And Jesus was honest with us about this, you guys. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. 
I mean, he didn't leave it there. He said, but take heart, I have overcome the world, and that's the most important part. But the truth is, there is going to be trouble. The answer to why is there suffering in the world and why are there problems in the world is that. Now go back to, back to the story. Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then she went on and said, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Really? Do you believe that, Martha? I mean, prayer goes something like this. God, why? Why is this going on? Okay, I trust you. And then sometimes God says, really, do you trust me? Because what we find out is a few verses later, Jesus says, okay, let's move the stone away and see what I can do. And Martha, who said she believed, said, but Lord, there's... This is said the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Again, I believe the reason for the delay. There, there's nobody that's going to, you know, there's nobody going to second guess this. But I love this prayer. I love the prayer life of Martha because it's the prayer life of Tim Harlow and probably the prayer life of you too. It goes like this. Lord, what took you so long? Why couldn't you fix this? Okay, I know, I know you have the power. I do believe and then he asked me to do something to prove that I believe him. And I'm like, are you crazy? I'm not doing that. Does that sound like your prayer life? God, I believe in you, but, you know, come on. That's a little crazy. Listen, I want to tell you something. Next weekend we're having mass baptisms. We do it twice a year around here. We baptize by immersion because that's the way they did it in the Bible. That's the way we were commanded to do it. The church chained it changed it about 1,200 years after Jesus, and I don't think that's a big deal, but he asked us to do it, so we do it by immersion here. And here's what, here's what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, for as many of you who have been baptized with Christ have put on Christ. And I know maybe, maybe for you, you were baptized as a baby and confirmed it later, but I want to encourage you to get baptized by immersion because I believe that God is going to honor the fact that he said, hey, I want you to do something a little crazy and go get baptized. And we'll have hundreds of people do it next week because we always do. And you don't want to miss it because it's going to be an incredible experience as you watch these people do it. But if you haven't done it, I want you to be praying right now about whether God wants you to go get wet. Bring some extra clothes and let's make this thing happen. Next weekend is it. We start a series called Daring Faith. And we're going to stretch our faith because I started this year talking about the fact that if you want God to put water somewhere, you may have to dig a ditch to hold it. If you were here for that, and, and we're going to talk about that over the next seven weeks, dared, daring faith, and next week is how to have a miracle in your life, and we're going to talk about the fact that sometimes we have to act, sometimes we have to do something, and I believe baptism is that. Martha says, yeah, okay, I believe, but don't roll the stone away. Come on. Let's not get crazy. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the really tricky passage. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Okay. This, this is the problem with our prayer life. This is the pro it's just me, not you. The problem is, I do believe that I'm going to live forever. I do believe that I'm going to rise again in the resurrection in the last day. And all those who have gone before me in Christ are going to be there. I do believe that. But sometimes I have a little trouble believing that if I rolled the stone away, something could happen here. Maybe you do too. Jesus said, 
yeah, uh, your brother's going to raise in the resurrection. But I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Then after that, he says, well, let's move the stone. And she still wasn't sure. See, the problem, the question is this. If God can do something to stop this, then why didn't he? And the answer is, Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there. He says that to the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can have more faith. And he said to his disciples, he said that to, to, to the disciples. And then he also said, this sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory. All right. So the only reason that God really does these miracles is for God's glory and for our faith. Okay? And there may be some of you that are, that are right now, you're like, man, I want God to heal me. I want, I want this to go for me. I want it to be, I want, I want everything to work out. And Martha's right. This, no sickness is going to end in death for the believer. Everybody gets that. We all get that other picture. One family, you know, when families do funerals, sometimes they do weird things. They want weird songs played and stuff. And one funeral home had a family come and say, hey, uh, you know, our father, he was a big Elvis fan. Could we have Love Me Tender as we're bringing the casket in? The funeral home was like, yeah, whatever, it's your funeral, you know, make, make it happen. Except when, um, when it came time to play the song, the guy hit the wrong track and played Return to Cinder. <laughs> Either way, it's appropriate, okay? All right? No sickness ends in death. We do believe this. This is really important, okay? We had a funeral for a 21-year-old uh, girl here on Friday who passed away from cancer. I hate that stuff. God hates that stuff. Sashi, her mom, posted on Facebook, this is my hope and the comfort that the good Lord Jesus is giving me, that Miho, that was her name, will be raised with an imperishable glorified body when Jesus returns. I believe that 100%. You believe that 100%. Miho is there. She went on and she said, it was the Monday after Easter Sunday last year when Miho was diagnosed with metastatic cancer. She was 20 years old. So she said, at that time, I felt like the message of Easter and the news of her advanced cancer didn't go together. But now I know what the Lord was telling me. It is the hope of the resurrection that makes all the difference. Because Miho's natural body is going to perish sooner or later. But take heart, she will be raised with a glorified, imperishable body and live forever. Even if our body dies on this earth, even when our body dies on this earth, and the mortality rate is still 100% last time I checked, even so, the sickness does not end in death. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. But sometimes, God decides to intervene now. And in the meantime, I think we should ask for God to intervene now now. It's okay. It's okay to ask why. It's okay to be limited in your faith ability. It's okay to say, are you sure you want to do this? It's okay to have the hope of the resurrection and not think that God's going to jump into the middle of your stuff and not want to roll the stone away, but watch what happens. So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, 
Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And then he's kind of like talking to himself now. And I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. This is about faith. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Like the mummy dude walked out of the tomb. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus prayed, Lord, I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the people here. I want them to believe that you sent me. I want them to believe that there is no sickness that ends in death. And so this time, at this moment, I'm going to pop in and I'm going to raise him from the dead right now. Because remember, the only reason Jesus ever interacted with somebody and did a miracle, it wasn't because they were necessarily because they had a problem, because he didn't heal everybody he came into contact with, just specifically when he wanted to increase their faith or he wanted to give glory to God. So the question for you is, do you believe this? Because if, you, if you're going to believe that someday this sickness will not end in death, you've got to believe that this sickness might not end in death either. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question. So when we get to this point in our lives and we say, if God can do something to stop this, then why didn't he? Our answer is God only does miracles so that we will believe and God will be glorified. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't ask for them to happen now. We don't just get miracles later. I get miracles all the time. And so do you. And then sometimes... I don't get miracles, and neither do you, because God is glorified through that. Spend a few minutes with Pastor Lonnie, our pastoral care pastor, who's in a wheelchair for the last 30-plus years, who's in a car accident, and I'm telling you, I've prayed for healing for Lonnie. Some of you have prayed for healing for Lonnie. He's been to people who have the gift of healing to pray for him. He's been to all the doctors we keep thinking that one day he's going to stand up and, and, and walk, and he's going to be healed, and it's going to be incredible. But if you ask Lonnie, I think by this point in his life, he, he would say, and he has said this publicly, it's okay if that doesn't happen, because God is glorified through this wheelchair. And you know that's true. So the only reason Jesus does miracles is, is so that God will be glorified and our faith will be greater. So sometimes he says no to the, the thing now. You're probably not going to have Jesus show up at your loved one's funeral and say, hey, dig that up and let's open the casket and bring him back. But he still overcomes death with life. No sickness ends in death. I mean, think about it this way. What's the most important thing Jesus says in John 11? Is that Lazarus comes out, come out? I mean, that was, that was the big moment, right? Mummy guy walks out, Lazarus walks out. And, and, the, and the Bible tells us that he was a believer and he walked with him, you know, again as a believer in, in, the, in that beginning of Christianity. And tons of people believe because, hey, that's Lazarus. He was, he's the dead guy, right? That, that's, that's a pretty good way to get your church started, right? 
we were going to plant the, uh, you know, a new campus in New Lenox, so let's see if we can get a resurrected guy to show up there every once in a while. I think Richie could fill the place up, right? That, that's why he did that miracle. But the most important words that Jesus said were not Lazarus comes out, come out. It was everybody can come out. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not live. You see, the problem with the Lazarus come out part, a problem with the miracle in this story is that it doesn't get to happen to everybody else. And the pro- I mean, it, God does what he does for a reason, but the, the problem, and I'm saying that, that's probably not the right term, but the problem with Lazarus come out is that Lazarus still had to be put back in. Do you see? Lazarus is still going to die because this is still a fallen world. You don't see him walking around. Well, there goes Lazarus. That guy won't die. He's unbelievable. He's the Cal Ripken of life. I'm, I, he's unbelievable. No, no, no. He still died. As a matter of fact, if you put yourself in the perspective of Lazarus, don't you think Lazarus absolutely hated this miracle? Don't you think he was just walking around just thinking, man, when can I die again? I can't wait for this to happen because he knew what the other side was like. And I don't know what to do with near-death experiences, but I had a man in our church several years ago. He... he uh, he had uh, bad health, and he actually died once and came back. And the family told me that when he died, he saw his wife, and he saw Jesus, and everything was wonderful. And, and then he came back. He was resuscitated. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. They, made, they asked him, why did you come back? And he said, well, the line was too long. <laughs> That's what he said. So he was still ill. He was still going to pass away. We we're gathering around. You know, sometimes you just gather around and you just say, look, it's okay to let go and go, go be with Jesus. It's okay. And, and while we were doing that with the family, I leaned over and I said, get the fast pass this time. <laughs> I mean, if you've already been there, you should get to the front of the line, don't you think? I'm not, the important thing that Jesus said was not Lazarus come out. It's everyone come out. As a matter of fact, one commentator I was reading on this, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, it's interesting, Jesus only did a few times where he raised the dead, but every time that he did, he was very specific about the name of the person. He always called them by name. He said, why, why do you think that is? Because if he hadn't done that, everyone in the cemetery would have popped up. If he's the resurrection and the life, right? That's all right. Oh, I'm, not, I'm sorry, you stay dead. Get get." I'm not dead yet. No, you, you got you, you to stay there, okay? He was very specific. Lazarus, um, brother of Mary Martha, who lives on Elm Street in Bethany, you come out. That's who I'm talking to. I believe that's true because he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him will never die. And he proved that he had power over death by coming back from the grave. And I believe that Lazarus was brought back by Jesus. I believe that Jesus rose again because if I don't have that... What do I believe about the rest of eternity? Why are we here? So we encourage ourselves with 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and a trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and be left will be caught up with them so that in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Do you believe this? He's the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes, this sickness will not end in death. Have to go back and remember why Jesus came. 
He said the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that you will have life and have it to the full. That means that you can live in a rust-infested planet with the power of God in your life and have a very blessed life. And that means that sometimes, even in our faithlessness, when we cry out and we say, God, why don't you do something about this problem? He will. But eventually, we're all going to be out of this fallen planet and the curse will be gone. And I don't know if we'll be here or someplace else, but it will be very good again and that's when it gets full. So I don't know about you, but I I, I drew attention to one passage that was kind of sad in the very beginning. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Again, this this is the issue that trips up a lot of people with their faith. Uh, my brother died. You could have done something about it. I'm, I'm staying home. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. I want you to understand that's okay too. As a matter of fact, what's really interesting about this passage, this is the shortest verse in the Bible passage in case you ever have that in a, a, a trivial game. When Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who, come along, who had come along with her also weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. And here's the shortest verse, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. I don't know, I don't think the Jews are right. Do you think, do you think Jesus is weeping because he's sad that Lazarus is in the grave? <laughs> I mean, he's getting ready to pull him back out again. More likely that he's weeping because he has to pull him back out again because he knows Lazarus is in perfection. Sorry, I got to do this, bro. Maybe Jesus was weeping because he realized the effects of sin and he'd been living here long enough that he understood what it was like to live on this planet full of sin. But I think we could all agree that the primary reason that Jesus was weeping was because Mary and Martha were weeping. And he was able to share their sorrow by feeling their pain. Take comfort in that. That even if the answer to the miracle that you're asking for in your life right now is no, and I pray and I hope that it's not, and it might not be, so have faith that he wants to do this right now. But even if it's no, even if it's later, I can't answer your prayer the way you want, he still weeps with you because he still feels your pain. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, we fix our eyes upon Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What does that mean? He left perfection. He left very good. He left non-rust. And he came here and he endured the cross. Consider him who endured so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. He not only endured the cross, he He endured the worst rust that anybody has ever endured. And why did he do that? Because he wants you to know that when you're crying, he cries with you. He's been there. He knows what you're feeling. I have another pastor friend named Chris Seedman who was telling me this story last week about his uh, five or six-year-old son gashed his head open, had to go to the emergency room. 
resonated with me because if you haven't had this experience as a parent of young kids, I mean, you know, when they're older, it's a little easier to explain what's going on. But when they're young kids, my, my oldest daughter, when she was two and a half, fell into the corner of a wall and split her head open. And what they have to do if it's a young kid is they have to strap them down. I mean, it's literally a straitjacket. They put your little kid in and they strap them down. And then, you know, whichever one is the stronger parent in the two of you has to stay in the room with them. Well, the other one's passed out, you know, in the waiting room. And for whatever reason, I guess my wife decided it was me. So I was the one that was in the emergency room, literally holding her down while the doctor gets out his big needle and starts to stick it into the wound in her head. She's two and a half. She's screaming. She has no understanding of why this is happening. And I know that the only way she's going to get better is to go through this, but she can't understand that. All right, you got that? That's kind of where we live sometimes. But Chris's story was even better. He said, my, my again, five-year-old boy, he was screaming bloody murder, and the doctor put the needle in, and they started to sew him up, and they realized that the, that the, the local anesthesia didn't work. And so they were going to have to do general. They, they don't usually want to do general on a little kid, so they were going to have to go do general. So he said, they walked out of the room. So they could go get ready, you know, get the, go get the stuff ready to do the general anesthesia and sew up his head. Left me in the room with my five-year-old strapped down to a table, in pain, bleeding, screaming bloody murder at me. Because I'm the only one left. Why are they doing this to me? Why are they doing this to me? Daddy, just get, let me up. Get, this hurts. Don't let them do this to me which is kind of the same thing Jesus said from the cross. And Chris said, I don't know why, it was a moment from God, I think. I came up with an idea. He said, I literally jumped up on the table and I pinned my son's arms down and I looked him in the eye and I said, this happened to daddy too. He said, my son went quiet for a minute and and I said, this happened to daddy too. And he lifted up his hairline and he showed him a big scar that he had on his head. And he said, when I was about your age, I fell and I cut my head. And this happened to me too. And I promise you, you're going to be okay. And he said, from that point on, my son just laid there and said, this happened to daddy too. This happened to daddy too. This happened to daddy too. God, I know that it happened to you too. I know that the only reason I have hope in sickness not ending in death is because you sent your only son at the time to come down to this planet and to endure the worst rust that we had. And Jesus, we look to the cross and we look to you because we know that this happened to you too. But whatever's going on in our life right now, I think about Sashi and Naburu lost their 21-year-old daughter. I think about another couple I was talking to yesterday, just some of the, the tragedies that I know are going on and there are people watching this, there are people in this room. I, I don't have a clue as to the heartache that's going on, but you do. And it's happened to you too. And we take comfort in that. 
And Lord, we take comfort in the fact that, that you are good and that we live in a place of bad. And we're going to worship you right now. We, we're, we're just going to turn everything over to you and believe that the sickness will not end in death and believe that someday the trumpet call will sound and we will be raised imperishable. And in the meantime, we're going to trust. We're going to believe. Do you believe this? Yes, we do. We believe you're a good, good father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.